Thank you for joining us. This is episode 44 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom, Kevin Buckner, and Chris Weber. Yo. Hello. I just Hello. remembered. There, there's a... Uh, I was going to say something... There's a podcast vendor that is no longer going to be doing podcast app anymore. Yeah, Stitcher. Stitcher, that's it. Stitcher is going away at the end of August. So, yeah. If you're running an Android device, use uh, Podcast Republic. That's my favorite. (laughs) And I've I've been been using using Google Podcast. That's what I've been using. Google Podcast is perfectly fine. Um, I've been using... Uh, pocket casts myself. I've heard and good it, things about that one. It, um, I'm on the $15 dollars a year program, and I can choose um, podcasts that I want to load automatically into my queue. Um, you can. They just added a folder feature, so you can separate your podcast a little bit more. Uh, they added that like six months ago, so it's a kind of new podcast vendor. Um, but yeah, it's all Do been the good. End of the shameless plug. Oh, there we go. Yeah, my There's shameless plug. Up. Because There's I'm gonna get paid there, for. I'm gonna get paid personally for uh, advertising for uh, Pocket Cast. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different ones out there. So make sure you look around and find a good one if you use the Stitcher app. Of course. If you use the Stitcher app, you're probably sick and tired of all of us podcast people telling you that Stitcher's going away. Since everybody's saying Stitcher's going away. So You say that, but about half of the podcasts that I have going live have said anything about it. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, that's why I figured it might be a good idea for us to bring it up, just in case. We're, yeah. So that we're on the half that is looking out for our listeners. Definitely. See, I had no idea. No clue. How many you podcasts? Listen to many podcasts there? I don't listen to all that many, though. That's ah, that was going to be my question right there. I have like twenty that I follow. So me too. Yeah. I got it's it's my entire work day is listening to different podcasts. So there is a lot. I have the angry music while I'm working. Uh, yeah. that's, that's typically what I have also, but largely due to the fact that. Um, I I can't have my ears fully covered when I'm at work unless I'm doing something that I cannot be distracted during. And that's when I'll listen to podcasts is when I'm like, I can't be distracted. So I'm going to put on my actual headphones and block out all the ambient noise so that I don't screw up. Yeah, huh. definitely. Especially in your line of work. We, we want yeah. to attention on the job. Yeah. So, but... All the other times, I have to have my open ear headset that's a bone conducting unit, and yeah. it's just so hard to understand everything people are saying, whereas, you know, if you're listening to music, that doesn't matter so much. Yeah. Right. You, you don't need to f- hear every lyric or guitar riff. I mean, yeah. it, it's fun. You may yeah. want to hear it. But, and it's yeah. easier it's easier to hear the guitar riffs than it is to hear the spoken things um but also with the kind of music i listen to it's kind of hard to understand every single thing that is said (laughs) in the song anyway there's a lot of complexity (laughs) with most of that music for sure um interestingly i did recently get a bluetooth headset that calls itself air conduction i used to have one of those and my first thought was isn't that what every headphone is yeah well not necessarily because um and and i got my son one of these air conduction things and my wife has one also because the one i had was so good and it it was great for a couple years until it stopped taking a charge and that's when i got the bone conduction thing but um it it leaves your ear open right and so it it the speaker the speakers are just loud enough that it uses the air waves or sound waves through the air to get into your ear canal whereas a lot of the like earbuds and stuff are right into your ear so technically yes they do conduct it through the uh air that is in your ear canal but 
I think when they're saying these that this is an air conducting headset, they're saying it's not going directly into your ear. The speaker is sitting in front of your ear, and um, oh, okay, yeah, so, my wife's got a yeah. pair of those. I call them ear slugs because they look like little slugs that kind of clip on the edge of your ear, earlobe. And and to be fair, what they do is. It's targeted sound. Like the, there's not a lot lost, like into the nothingness of the rest of your environment. So nobody would really yeah, be able to easily to tell that you're listening to something, right? Ooh. But it also leaves your ears open so that you can hear what's going on around. Yeah. So the ones my wife has look kind of like just large, funny uh, uh, earrings, almost. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think I have seen those. I have been interested in the cochlear ones for a while now. I think that it would be interesting to just have a, a cochlear um, headset. That would be. The bone conduction ones. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the kid that most of us grew up with who needed the cochlear implant so that he could hear. Um, just yeah. because... It's the same technology, it's just one is installed so that you can live your life, and one of them is <laughs> transmitting well, through skin and then to the bone. So Yeah, I mean yeah. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've seen him lately, but um his uh his child and my child go to the same school. And okay. uh yeah, it's it is not you can't even tell anymore that he's got one. The, the uh, well, the technology, technology I'm sure, is so far. Yeah, we're talking 20 years since <laughs> we were all in high school. So yeah, I'd yeah. be surprised if that technology hadn't grown up too. Um, Don't remind me; it's been that long. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we're, Andy, I, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Andy, since you're yes, so sir. old, and you. <laughs> Did you work on anything with your printer this week? Uh, yeah, yeah. So after our podcast last week, I got involved in a couple of different around-the-house projects that uh, turned out kind of nice. Um, one of the things that uh, I'm prepping to do here is I want to, you know, we've been doing the model rockets, and that worked out so well for the 4th of July here. We've been interested in continuing to develop some things for that that would be fun that I could do with the kids and to, to learn myself. Now, um, I've gotten into a lot of uh, pit controllers and microcontrollers and having them do all sorts of things, and that's kind of fun. And so we thought it would be fun to let, let's, let's put one on a rocket here with a, um, uh, a gyroscope on it, and um, that way you can sense the movement and stuff and, and use a uh, little uh not solenoid um actuator to be able to control a control surface on it and see if we could do little things like spin control and stuff like that and so we're kind of moving that direction i got some small microcontrollers and, and stuff ready to go but one thing i don't have is a very good power supply for stuff like that and um a little over two weeks ago i was kind of looking around at, at getting myself two small um lithium-ion battery packs, maybe ones for, that are used in like the little remote control helicopters from our days past or, or something like that, you know, small ones. And um, I came across something that I didn't really know they made. It makes total sense that they do, but I, I didn't know it. And that is button cell batteries with normal lithium-ion chemistry on the inside. So I've got button cell batteries. These ones here I picked up are uh, the 2450s. So they're the much larger ones. They're not like the 2025s or the 2032s uh, that we always see. All that nomenclature right? means nothing to me, by the way. Oh, really? Those are the ones that look more like a quarter. For <laughs> okay. those who have had to replace the quarter-sized batteries. Okay, gotcha. And so the ones I got are a little <laughs> bit larger around than a quarter, just a little bit. And they're about the size of maybe two and a half quarters stacked on top of each other. But this is a normal lithium-ion cell, completely rechargeable and everything. Uh, playing around with it, after I got one, it, uh, it, it holds about 80 milliamp hours on the inside, which is pretty awesome for a battery that that, that's that big. Now, a lot of the batteries that I've used are the 18650s. 
And um, you guys have probably seen, we've gone camping and stuff. I've got a lot of these little flashlights here that take an 18650. And a while back, I bought a bunch of these 18650s. They were out of China. They claimed to have 5,000 milliamp hours, which is impossible. Most really good production cells are around 2,800. Sometimes you can get a little bit more. I've got a couple that were up to 3,000. And one of the things that I myself enjoy doing is when I get a battery pack that goes bad, I like to pull it apart, pull out the cells, find the bad cells that you know go bad, and uh, then I keep all the rest of the cells for projects. And so uh, that's a lot of these, projects. Yeah, <laughs> but these cheap ones from China only have about 400 milliamp hours in them when you test them. They're really crappy. They didn't but mean 5,000. They meant 500. Yeah, exactly. But inside of these little torch flashlights, they will last. They, they've got a good like 10 minute burn time, full power on them, which is perfect for, you know, these little flashlights that, that you use that I give to the kids and stuff like that that are really super bright. And uh, that's a lot of power. So finding one, these little button cells that are 80 milliamp hours is kind of like opening doors for smaller projects. I could take two of these, stack them on top of each other and um, <clears throat> have a, a voltage cut off around, what would it be, 5.2 volts or something like that, so I don't hurt the cell. And bada bing, bada boom, there's you know something I can run into a, a voltage controller for whatever projects I'm using, and it has practically no weight to it. So one of the things about these cells, getting into the 3D printing stuff, is I didn't want to buy a charger for these cells. These are normal lithium ion chemistry and can be charged with a normal lithium ion battery. So I wound up 3D printing something about the size of an 18650 that can fit inside my, my charger that I can then put these coin batteries inside. Look, it looks like a pencil sharpener for our visual listeners. <laughs> yeah, and uh, put inside my battery charger and charge it like a normal cell, which works really good. So that, nice. uh, that was kind of nice. nice to be able to sit down and, and 3D print you know, exactly something that I would, I would need to have this work. And I used, um, the little, uh, uh, strips of not, not NICAM, um, nickel, nickel strips that you use to make battery packs where you, uh, spot weld onto these batteries mm -hmm. as my contact plates for this and, uh, worked out really good. So that was one project I did. Um, yeah, we saw another project. What's that? We saw the pictures you, pictures you posted with, uh, that mounted in the battery pack looked like it was a really good fit yeah yeah it worked out really good kind of impressed with it that's gonna open up a few doors for some some smaller projects when you don't want to use a large battery for anything uh one of the other things i wound up doing this week is my littlest son um has got one of those little tiny push pedalless bikes that's supposed to you know help you learn how to balance and stuff and the wheels are plastic the entire wheel is plastic. They're such garbage. But I had the bearing come out of one and just get destroyed. And being able to, to 3D print a little insert that would hold the bearing into the wheel properly for to replace the part that broke uh, was really nice to be able to sit down and, and just with a little bit of CAD skill and, and you know create that complete replacement part. And that way I can still keep the bike around for them because you can't just buy those little tires. You'd have to buy a whole bike, which is only about $40. So it's still not that expensive of a bike, but you know, it's saved from having to, uh, to purchase a new one just so I can get the darn tire for it because he's not done using that particular bike. Sure. But put that together and, and, uh, printed off some uh, interference parts uh one for the bearing and the one for the outside of the tire where it makes contact with the the tire itself and both fit really good so i, I printed the entire thing and worked just great he's been riding around on it printed it out of petg so it's a little bit more durable because it's going to have some compression issues and i printed a good part of it uh, where the bearing sits and transfers the force to the wheel solid plastic and then the rest of the, the garment that just kind of holds it into place. I did just the normal 20% infill with just a couple of shells. And uh, that's been working good and carrying his weight around quite a bit. And if it does happen to break, um, it is on the back tire. And so, you know, it's less of an issue if something goes wrong. And um, 
However, I think the 3D printed part in this particular scenario is actually more stronger than the other side of the wheel where the bearing is hooked up because it's just a cheap bike. So those are the projects that I've been working on for the most part. I, I did have something kind of fun happen at work uh, today or not today, but this last week. And that was uh, one of my fellow employees has gotten involved into printing 3D. And, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, he, he asked me about it, thinking of getting one. And then a couple more weeks later, he's got one. And then this last time I talked to him, he's got it up and running. And he's printing off a bunch of things and how excited he is, how neat it is, <laughs> and how many problems it's going to solve. And uh, he was asking for recommendations on uh you know 3d cad programs so uh i pointed him to a couple of the ones that you guys use that are for the most part free to use and good to learn right off the bat and, and uh and he's going to run with that now so i i think i think uh i'm sorry my brain just melted i don't know where it went but yeah that's what i've been doing <laughs> that's cool wanna, yeah, along might, those lines my might want to check brother. your earphones to make sure that they're not full right now full of brain yeah that would explain a few things <laughs> well along those lines uh yeah my little brother just barely got a 3d printer he it he delivered to his his place in this last week so he's gonna get it set up and he was asking recommendations and i um I, I, we, um, we, we, we basically both kind of decided that Fusion 360 is probably the way for him to go. Okay. You know? And um, inexpensive and robust. Hard to argue <clears throat> with that. And yeah. he was really impressed with those with those uh, gear holders that I printed up for him, so we could uh, set the timing on his wife's car. So he's. Uh, He's pretty excited to get going into 3D printing too. Cool. That's neat. I'm getting work closer on any... to... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Andy. I was going to say, getting closer to uh, uh, finally getting ready to purchase an SLA printer so I can join Kevin in his SLA works there. Um, probably two weeks from now, two more podcasts from now. Uh, nice. nice. Kevin's going to have to help me figure out all the problems he went through so I don't have to go through them personally and that'll be fun. You get to find your own that. problems. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm good at just <laughs> making problems. I don't have to find them myself. I can just make as many as I want. <laughs> you just you, sit you, there and they find you. You, you, <laughs> may, you. you may want to move your setup away from the laundry room though because they put off fumes so it may make your laundry smell. Yeah, that was a big concern of mine. Uh, but uh, Kevin was telling me about the um, system he has on his for dealing with the fumes and how, you know, not so much of a problem that is. So I'm banking on whatever one I get to have a similar filtration to what, what Kevin says that he's using on his. Oh, okay. That way I won't have to worry too much about that. But if fun, it fun. does become a problem, I bet I could uh, come up with a way to uh, integrate a ventilation system right into the exhaust for my dryer <laughs> i was just it, thinking that it's not like you don't have the resources to uh print a splitter <laughs> <laughs> no kidding no kidding for your ducting yeah not only that it's forced air fan on it, and... it it's pretty cheap to get an, an inline uh inline fan on those too i mean down yeah. at the local hardware store they're only like 10 20 bucks to get one and he's got yeah. the motors and the resources to build his own fan if he wants that that's yeah true. <laughs> that's true so chris uh -oh. have you done anything with your printer this week um no not with my printer it's been a it's been a crazy week so i mean everybody knows about last week where i printed the gear holder for uh my brother's wife's car um but that alone did not put the cam gears in the right place quite. So, um, you know, I, I was I was a little under the weather and really tired with it. So um, yesterday I was able to uh, make my own tool because um, you need to line up the cam gears on the other side of the engine. So on the opposite side of the timing. Yeah, uh, 
you need to flat out the cam gears and you you kind of need like a a specialty flat tool that holds them level with the top of the with, with the top of the uh cylinder head and um i i found some old angle iron that was about the right thickness and cut it up with my grinder a little bit cleaned it up a little bit you know and use that to line the cam gears up just right so i could use my 3d printed gear holders hold it in place get the timing all lined up so anyway that part of it went really well the car runs smoothly it's got lots of power again but it's still smoking like <laughs> worse than i can't melt is going right. on huh? yeah so um i'm just gonna I, i'm not sure what it is at the moment and i'm not sure i want to dive into it i'm pretty sure that some part of his engine is toast so they were thinking uh, about not keeping the car anyway so at this point i'm more just time is wasted let, time. let him yeah let him drive it home and uh decide what to do with it from there okay um but aside from that my father-in-law's car also i had to fix this week it sprung a coolant leak the water i had replaced the water pump a couple a uh, little over a month ago with, yeah. when i was doing the t- timing for his car and the gasket that came with my that came with the timing set and water pump was apparently not that good <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so, so somebody got to pull back apart and put a new gasket on it kind of thing pretty much yeah i pulled it apart put a new gasket um this time around though i put a crud ton of sealer on it just to make sure yeah, I mean it's not ideal because the next guy that has to change the water pump is going to have to deal with a whole bunch of gasket sealer. But <laughs> it's, it's a shame that such a, a high thermal area could have uh, printed your own gasket. Mm, no, I'm pretty sure TPU would have done really well, but the the gasket in this case was was actually one of those. Uh, steel gaskets oh okay the, one of those painted steel gaskets which is kind of odd that they would use that for the coolant system but yeah okay. what it was so hmm. that is weird so yeah i spent my whole week fixing cars and uh, my sister-in-law's car had something funny going with the power steering that i had to adjust her power uh, adjust her belt and tighten a couple things up to take care of a leak and so yeah i haven't even got to my own things that i wanted to do like you know touch my my pool table (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sounds like this gets big sounds like we're almost out of the pandemic you know you're back to the normal load of uh family members demanding things from you chris Uh, (laughs) no kidding yeah And hear the joy in that voice. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Frank? What have you been up to? Uh, I've got quite the epic, actually. Um, so I had an issue with a game from, and I'm going to name names here, Ubisoft. Sucks on computers. Um, so I've been having issues with the game, and I've followed every detail I could online. And being a techie for most of my life, I just blatantly ignored everybody that said, oh, reset your Windows 10, and that should fix the problem, because that's not a fix. And I've dealt with it for two weeks, trying to figure it out, and it just kept nagging at the back of my head. These people thought that it was a fix. Nothing else is working. I was like, okay, I'm going to go with a nuclear solution, even though I don't expect it to be a solution. And so I reset my machine. The reason this is relevant is because I archived off things like the podcast and my STL files and all that, but I had to rebuild my software on my computer. Okay, so when you say you reset, you're not talking about power cycling. You're talking about reformatting the hard drive and start uh, over or something right c- complete oh, complete back to zero for my operating system uh. and 
as a techie yourself, Andy, <laughs> you know as well as I do that that's not a solution. No, um, no. And it wasn't. I, I have the same problem. I actually have more problems with their software now than I had before the reset. Yeah. Which, which if I had really thought about it, I could have foreseen. Um, and their, their tech support is just absolutely atrocious. Yeah. They ask for feedback and then ignore you until you submit a new ticket. Um, which is why I'm so angry at Ubisoft. Ubisoft. Anyway, <laughs> so um, in the process of, I also have been reprinting some of my sheet clips that I did a while ago. Okay. Um, the TPU part broke. And then while I printed off a new TPU part and printed it at 100% instead of probably 20 when I did it. Okay. And um, when I was reassembling it, the PLA part broke. Oh, no. And so I went to reprint it, and I ran into an issue that I have a couple of times. When going from TPU to PLA, my machine okay. complains until you disassemble the whole carriage and clean it and reassemble it. Oh, no. Uh, wait, let me put one thought in here. Are you preheating for TPU when you still might have PLA in the system so you bake the PLA at the higher temperatures? Um, my, the TPU I've been using actually mm -hmm. prints at the same temperature for both. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah, th that's one of the things that I have liked about the brand that I've been using. Um, that is convenient. I, I threw shade at Ubisoft. I'm going to praise Overture uh, <laughs> materials because I just love Overture for whether it's TPU or uh, PLA. And even their PETG has been decent for me. I just haven't had a lot of need for That's the, the uh, PETG, but they've been yeah, great across the I've, board for me. I think I've got a bunch of Overture too, and it's not bad stuff. Um, anyway, so I took advantage of the computer reset because, well, it wasn't an intentional advantage. <laughs> I lost all my profiles for Kira. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so it's like, well, I have to, you know, baby my printer a little bit anyway. I'm just going to restart from zero with Kira. Yeah. And, um, that has actually gone fairly quickly. It only took me two days to get it dialed in instead of the week that it has in the past. Okay. Um, still a little bit of under extrusion, but I, I think that I can figure that out with a couple more m small adjustments. Um, I finally got the hard part of the clip together and I got it tied together and put back on the sheets. And yeah, that's everything I've done. 3D printer-wise in the last two weeks. <laughs> um, personal drama, which our listeners don't need to hear about, but you guys got an earful of before the podcast, adding to yeah. everything. Uh, yeah. It's been a, a busy couple of weeks, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. You've had a lot going on. Um, <laughs> going back to your printer, since you redid the entire since you got a brand new profile and still hunting down the under extrusion problems, have you ever checked to see if your um, steps per millimeter are correct on the printer itself? That you're actually, when you tell it to extrude, you know, say a hundred millimeters, you are actually extruding a hundred millimeters. I have not. The way I've been attacking it with my printer, because there's some complexity with adjusting like steppers and that sort of thing. It's still the OEM flavor of Marlin on the okay. printer. And okay. um, it's a little complex to get that changed out. And I, well, there's a part of me your... that's, there's a part of me that's torn between it works well enough. Do I really want to mess with it? <laughs> okay. So I, I, I just attack the under extrusion with things like the flow setting in Cura. And that's how I've gotten, in the past, I've gotten really good 
uh, prints, okay. like consistently. So I, I just need to carefully up it from here to get that one or two little under extruded parts in my outer wall. Okay. Um, there is a hope maybe in the next little while there are some new um, hot end and heat exchanger uh, heat block all that stuff uh, assemblies that Creelty has they're a little expensive they're like $80 for the whole assembly yeah but um I keep thinking that if I got two of them and rigged them up with quick connects right at the carriage, mm-hmm. then I could set up, set myself up with a, a work area on a, um, a heat power supply so that I can adjust the heat on it and okay. position it how I want it and clean it and get it all set up so that then when I do need a clean, I can just exchange the carriage or the the hardware on the carriage, continue to use my printer, and then take my time in cleaning the old one. Okay. Um, It's not so inconvenient that I can't just, you know, leave it connected and warm it up with my uh, controller from my printer right now. So it's doable. It's just, I, I wish I could just remove one and put the other one in, tram, and be good to go. Yeah, it takes the takes the whole unit out of commission when it's when they're having to clean it. Right. Um, and that's where I am on that. Okay, that's good. Still seems like you have to clean it a lot, though. But it could just be the type of extruder that you got. Well, and I've had to disassemble and clean it every time I go from TPU to PLA. That's crazy. And I don't know why, it, like there's a good seal on, there's a little bit of Bowden tube between my, because it's a um, direct drive extruder. Yeah. There's just, it's 80 millimeters of Bowden tube between the extruder and the nozzle. Okay. And um, the way I did it this last time is I added an extra one, one and a half millimeters. So mm-hmm. it compresses into that tube. For the, okay. the nozzle. Yeah. And um, there, so it's got a good seal there. It's got good uh, pressure from my extruder. If I do get the new assembly, I'm also going to get new extruders to go with it. Okay. Um, but it, I, I just don't know why it complains so hard whenever I transition. And I'd rather just, if I have to clean it, I'm going to, I would like to be able to remove it and put the, put another one in. So that I can still print while I'm working through the cleaning issues with the other one. Okay, so that would be a, a a neat neat setup to have. It'd be almost kind of like a tool changer with a couple extra mm-hmm. steps. Well, and I have seen where there have been some makers who uh, have created a quick connect for the whole extruder assembly. Yeah, and those look fun, but I. <laughs> I don't know, like, if I'm going to do that, then I have to account for the extra distance in front of the carriage, too. Yeah. And um, it's not like I have a lot of things that take up that much of my build space. But if I do, I want to account for it at the beginning of the process instead of after the fact going, why can't I build this thing? <laughs> Why is it acting like it's ten millimeters too big or whatever when you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's um, that be a neat project to do though. Yeah. And honestly, the other thing is is it's it should be fine. Like my whole um extruder assembly is based in plastic. Um I don't think it's thermoplastic. I do think it was molded, but um Okay. It's the kind of thing where it shouldn't be too big a deal to have a plastic quick exchange for the carriage. But if I'm going to do something like that, I would almost rather do it out of like aluminum or something. Yeah. Like design it and have a shop make it. There's a lot of companies out there that will do stuff like that and they're not that expensive. I mean, it's a, 
it's going to seem expensive if you had the tools to do it yourself mm. and all that, you know, you're getting a little ripped off. But for those of us who don't have the tooling to accomplish those kind of things, it's going to seem pretty cheap. And that's always going to be an option. I think it's just, uh, yeah, not one right now. So. That's what I used to do with my PCBs. Like I, I came from, you know, making, you're not really your own, but taking breadboards, you know, just drilled out boards with wires on the back and stuff like that to make PCBs. And then as soon as I came across like, wow, you can design this, send it off and they, and they will send you back, you know, a, a PCB printed properly looking beautiful, you know, for, you know, six or $7. And uh, that, that was like such a big step, you know, like, oh, now I've got this, this option that I didn't have before. But then I also got into, um, you know, making my own PCBs just using my laser printer and etching them myself and stuff like that. And now I'm kind of looking at it going, wow, seven or eight bucks for a PCB that looked that way. That's, that's kind of on the pricey side, you know. I'm sure it'll be the same way for making, you know, something like an uh, aluminum component or something. You can give them the design file and, yeah, sure, you know, it's 20 bucks for this piece, but we'll make it for you. And suddenly doors are open because, <laughs> like, wow, that's awesome. Until you get a CNC yourself and think, wow, they were charging me out the butt for that. So <laughs> for something when I'm designing and sending them the file. Now, no kidding. keep in mind also, most of those shops are in the mass production space. Yeah. So someone does the work and sends them a file. They want 10,000 of this item. <laughs> yeah. And so it's cost effective. Yeah. To say, well, if you want one, we're going to charge you this much. But if you want 10,000 of them, we're going to give you the bulk discount because we can set it up to EDM 200 of them at a time and just run the yeah. machine for an hour, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely no shade on, on them for what they charge. But uh, once you get the right tooling to do it yourself or whatnot and realize how much cheaper it is for you to do that, of course, then there's the point, too, that if you don't use it enough to make it worth it, the cost in the gear to accomplish that is is where you're going to be, you know, being screwed from. But And that was always my hesitation for getting a table saw. I love my table saw. It's great. Yeah. And I've used it a lot since I got it. But yeah. when I was getting to that point, it's like, am I really going to need it, though? I use my skill saw <laughs> for so much. Yeah, yeah. And since I got the table saw, I built a sled for it, and I use it for little fine, accurate cuttings as well as the the you know ripping a board down and that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm sure that I would find uses if I got the EDM. Yeah. Um, or the I know mill. That's all my, However, my I decide to do that. My other problem is is my workshop is the size of a one car garage with shelves on both walls and oh stop bragging about how much so. space you got <laughs> yes just because it's bigger than your workshop doesn't mean i have a lot of space <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah then there's chris he's oh. got a two-car garage <laughs> with, with a bunch of storage in it so he's actually got less space than we do even though he's got a bigger building yeah. than we do so I don't know how that's supposed to work out. That's my yeah. own fault. Fair. <laughs> I, I didn't want to come out and say specifically, Chris, you've got no one to blame, but you know. <laughs> I do know that as uh, soon as soon as my first kid moves out, man, I, I'm taking their bedroom. <laughs> Turn that into a, a small electrical shop. You know, my my tool shop out there is great for metalworking and stuff like that, but having a place where you could work on electronics and things that are more related to stuff like the printer. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. Set your printer up with its that own work. The main things my office is used for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kevin, um, yes. what did you do this week? Oh, I've done so much this week. Um, so first off, I, uh, was, I printed that, uh, headphone holder that you sent me a link to. And, um, in trying to get the screw into it, I, I kind of broke the screw. Um, so I was like, I need a new option. And so I printed up actually one of those Fibonacci hooks that we had been talking about a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And it's, okay. it's doing the job. 
Um, it's holding the cord in a good position, and it's a place where I can have the headphones set down so that they don't get destroyed. Um, and it's, it's just, it's great. Um, and then... And it's easier. There's no comp, <laughs> right. no assembly required. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then after that, uh, I am the DM for my son's uh, Dungeons and Dragons group, and so I went on Titancraft and uh, designed um, uh, miniatures for the four members of the party, and. And I printed those off on the SLA printer. And I also um, started printing uh, dungeon floor terrain on the SLA printer and then said, wait, why am I, why am I wasting resin for this? This doesn't need to be um, high resolution. So I got a bunch of those printing on the FDM printer. Um, and then I printed up... Um, a dozen dire rats and uh, a chest and a mimic on the SLA printer. And then on the FDM, like it was getting to be Thursday night. And I was like, I've, I'm not going to have everything done in time for the game on Friday. So I went on to Cura and I cranked up the resolution and I printed up some barrels and an, and another chest and they turned out beautifully um, like the the detail I got on those was extraordinary. It was almost what I could get with SLA, so it was I was very well pleased with it. And that's what was I've that, done. Was what? that the 1.2 millimeter extrusion or the 0. 0.12? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was it was phenomenal. You did was, 0. Yeah. 0.12 layer height. Yeah, no, point. What? Well, yeah, 0. No, 0.12. 0. 0.12. Yes. Yes. That's impressive. That's impressive. That's, oh wait, what, my printer does that. That's okay. the high resolution for my printer. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking 10, 10 a multiple of ten off. My mistake. The the, the <laughs> system high resolution. I I'm pretty sure I can print at point zero whatever. Yeah. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what I heard is. Is not because when, when when you see like because I, I print pretty much everything at point two, and when I want yeah. better quality, I'll use point one. But when you say like zero point one, I'm thinking point zero one, and that's why I'm like point zero one two. Wow, that is that Andy that's is a bad. that's a very skinny layer height there. <laughs> Andy is bad at math. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The, that's the Z hop that I go up by when I do the Z offset. It's point zero one. A tiny amount. Uh, sometimes that's all it takes. It's literally point zero one between it being so tight to the the build plate that you can only see the shadow of where it was printed to uh, you can see some color. Oh, I thought I thought when you said Z hop, I thought you were talking about the Z hop setting. My, my bad. Well, the the on the on my controller, it's called Z hop. You can adjust it manually, but when it's in Cura, it's the offset. So oh, you, wow. you find it on the controller, or at least I do. I find it on my controller, and then I set it when I get it right. Okay. I set it on the uh, Cura, oh, and it okay. resets that profile with the next print. Okay. Just them calling it Z Hop on the controller there's what what threw me off I guess because Z Hop is like right before you go to do a travel move mm -hmm. it'll raise the Z up during the travel and you, that is a configuration on Cura for the travel mm -hmm. yeah so that yeah. so that your nozzle doesn't bump something yeah yeah which technically it shouldn't I, I personally see that setting like. When things aren't working right, you can use this setting to get it correct or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. one of those. But, uh, but yeah, well, so to have it on the controller was just threw me off, I guess. That plays into uh, when you have a, an automatic balancer. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it, yeah your Z is constantly adjusting anyway. Yeah. Um, 
I avoid that as much as possible, but sometimes <laughs> it still happens <laughs> that it's useful. Yeah. That's what the thing is. <laughs> I'm a simple. So do you have I just you know print and I just push push print and go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. Uh, I, I guess that's an option for the uh, un uninterested in the the mechanics of the whole thing. But I am actually kind of interested in the mechanics, so I, I like to play with settings sometimes just to see what they do yeah sometimes i wish i hadn't done that but uh <laughs> for, for 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 a guy that fixed a bubble jet printer when i was 11 years old i mean i you'd think i'd be more interested in the mechanics of it but i think it's just that i don't allot myself time i have a hypothesis chris you've worked on cars for so long that uh, you don't have the mechanical curiosity that you did when you were 11 <laughs> anymore. <laughs> uh, I, th I think that's part of it. I think it's, it's again, uh, time. Because, like, I'll make time to get into, uh, well, example, my pool table. I'm getting it, getting it all tore apart just uh, to replace the felt and everything. Uh, same thing with, like, my game systems. You know, I took the time to mod my Sega Saturn so that I could play uh, uh, downloaded ISOs. You know, it's just, it's so, so far down on my interest list at the moment is all. Fair. Yeah. I accept That's that. One problem with getting into the whole family bit is you definitely, or you're just getting older, you just don't have as much time as you used to. To a degree, right. that's by design, too. <laughs> you know, me and my wife don't have the curtain climbers, but we still uh, feel the need to take it slower sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It gets a little overwhelming. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just this last, uh, what was it, yesterday here, my uh, mother-in-law, my kids had a sleepover my mother-in-law's house, and so me and the wife took the advantage and, went and had a nice dinner and stuff like that together just because... And you took a nap? <laughs> uh, <laughs> nap? <laughs> He's like, I still don't know what that is. I don't understand <laughs> that word. It sounds like English. I just don't know what the word means. <laughs> <laughs> what does I love that... naps. In my line of work, I would love... I, for a little while there, I tried it taking a nap and because I, I i hate lunches i've always hated lunch breaks the minute you stop to eat from that day from that point on you're just dragging to get through from the that day, day on or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from that time on you're just dragging through the day so i always hated that but uh, so i thought one day I'll, I'll try to try to take a nap instead take a 20 minute or something like that and uh, i work out in, in the field um so i'm, I'm in my work car wherever I go. And so I would often find a place where there's not going to be too many people and, and take a, you know, take a nap during my lunch break. And it was amazing. I am totally into taking naps in the middle of the day. It, 20 minutes is nothing time wise, but oh my gosh, it changes the whole rest of that day. It feels like a brand new day, you know? It's almost and, like uh, the Spaniards knew what they were talking about. No, yeah, no, no, that's going a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> But at one point, you know, from the outside perspective, this guy comes up. I mean, I, I've, I've seen it tons of times with like UPS guys. Well, you'll see them parked out in the middle of nowhere and the driver just sitting there, mouth open, just gone, taking a nap, you know. And the first thing you think of is, ah, oh, that's just someone milking the clock, taking advantage of the system, blah, 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 you know. It's a very and I got American, American perspective. Attitude at work there. Yeah. And I got accused <laughs> of that at one point of, of slacking off and, and taking a nap. And so now it's like, well, I, I guess that's the end of that. Not, not because work had a problem with it. All I did is explain to my, you know, explain myself, look at the time frame I was during my lunch break. It was not a problem, but you know, just the idea of someone having that perspective of me kind of makes it so, yeah, I'm not going to take naps anymore at work. It's, it makes you look like a bad employee. And so just that appearance alone, is enough to say I'm not going to do it. Yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. I think that's a poor industrial mindset. But sure, I agree. 
but it's the industry I'm in. So you kind of have to work with what you got. And my brother, actually, he thinks he got fired because they had a problem with him taking a nap during his lunch break. Yeah, okay. Like he was in the break room, curled up in a corner, just took a 20-minute or before he went back to work, and they decided that uh, if he had time to take a nap, he had time to be working. <laughs> That's one thing I would love to change, because those times that I did take a nap during the lunch break, uh, it, it, like I say, it just changed the whole last part of that day. was like a brand new day. I was more productive. I felt felt better, you know, just it, your body feels rested. That 20 minutes is like the equivalent of an hour to two hour long nap with the effect that it feels like it has on the body. You know? but, well, uh, and there's actually been a lot of study around the idea. You know, our, our ancestors, for instance, you know, 400,000 years ago, slept on different schedules. And it was not, an, it's believed to have been a hangover from that like it's all a hypothesis we have no way to prove it from the fossil record but it seems like it would make sense from a proto-human perspective where if a couple that sleeps on different schedules or even a, a tribe where half the tribe sleeps on a different schedule than the other half then you've always got somebody up and aware and you've always got somebody getting rest yeah and I'll so what though Early risers um, get together with night owls and all of that for that reason. Well, uh, you guys know I'm a night owl, and getting a job on swings has been a game changer for me, too. I bet. I am, that fits your schedule, huh? Yeah, I am, I, am I, I, I am working when I am naturally up and aware, and I don't end up losing the first two hours of my day trying to get up to speed with everybody that's normally up at, you know, five, six in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, yeah. I know we've always given you a hard time and stuff. You know, when we go camping or whatever, you're the one in the tent until two in the afternoon and stuff like that. But it really is a thing for you. You also can stay up all night when, you know, folks like me, I'm, I'm hitting it pretty early, you know, but uh, that, that's awesome that you've been able to find a, a position at work that, is better fits your schedule because you are oh, yeah, one of the ones that is more on the extreme for the night owl side. And I've been so much more productive on, on swing shift than I was on day shift too. And I retain information and, and, and stuff so much better as well. It's really a big difference. That's great to hear. Yeah. That, that, that's nice. I forgot that your job was um, swings to be honest. Hmm. But yeah, we should not, you know, uh, I, I, I feel like it, sh it shouldn't be looked down on, on people that, you know, can pop in a 20, 20 or 30 minute nap for their, their for their break times. Cause it is so beneficial. It really yeah. is. And you know, when it comes down to productivity, if you can justify giving somebody 20 minutes, take a nap and get an extra hour or two of engaged work from them, you would think that the calculus would be easy for those businesses to be like, yes, take a nap, 20, yeah, 30 no minutes. You can see that a lot too in, in like with people working at home and stuff, that there were a lot of people whose productivity really did go through the roof, but yet they still demanded you to, to come in and all that, which you know took the productivity for those folks way down. The numbers are right in front of you, but, you know, they're so used to just these standards that don't really apply anymore. Well, and companies are trying and people are pushing back, so it'll be interesting to see where the, uh, the chips fall for sure. Right? Yeah. Yep. If your job can be done from home, why not? Exactly. Yeah. I, I do wish that my job could be done from home. You just bring the analyzers home. That's all you need to do. Analyzer <laughs> specimens. Like I think, I think my wife might have a problem with me storing urine in the fridge. <laughs> okay, how about this? Because it wouldn't be that hard to set you up with like a, a robotic haptic feedback type situation. 
<laughs> where you are still controlling the robots, but they are in an enclosed space where the samples are within reach of the machine that they're going to be used for. And then maybe you have to go in one day to get everything prepped, but the rest of the time, you know, you can be at home telling the computer, okay, turn here, pick this up, you know. There you go. Yeah, and then you still maintain in, back and forth. Then you then you still maintain medical industry standards by having everything operated at the lab. <laughs> well, and it can be a even more um, san- sanitary because humans are decidedly unsanitary <laughs> creatures at our best, and yeah. uh, breathing on the stuff would not be the issue that it. Has the potential to be with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd like to see how how we how how far we get along with the new VR robots because there are um, VR robots. Uh, I, I, I'm slightly interested in that. I got really jazzed when I finally read um, Ready Player One. Okay, and it's like, yeah, this is so doable. There should be more emphasis on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, th- there's always going to be the people that are like, oh, computers are taking my job. It's like technology has always been problematic for society. Yeah. If, if you go back 400,000 years, the person who first started using the arrow was probably criticized by his peers because <laughs> they were used to the endurance hunting with sharpened yeah. sticks? Well, no. J- just chase the thing to death. Bludgeon it with a rock once it gives No, up. no. Um, so the, four-legged four animals the- have a decision they have to make. They can breathe or they can cool down. Mm-hmm. So humans are the only creatures that can breathe and run at the same time and without overheating to the degree that all the four-legged animals do. So it's believed, now this is another hypothesis, because, you know, we don't have time machines, but it's believed that our earliest ancestors would work together as a uh, tribe and chase their food to death. Yep. And, and it's it evidenced would... by tribes current, currently doing this. Yes, it, it's still a practice with some of the modern-day tribes. Yeah. Um, so the, the, um, endurance hunters probably criticized the guy that had the bow and arrow saying, Hey, you're going to get lazy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you, you don't need that tool. You need to chase your food to death, just like the rest <laughs> of us. <laughs> and while they were out chasing their food, he was bringing food back to the tribe. So oh, probably, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or she. Let, let's be honest. It could have been a she that decided, hey, you know what? This animal could turn and gore me, but if I put an arrow in its heart instead, it's not going to gore me. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, right? we're more talking about the evolution of the atlatl and then again, the bow after that, and then. Yeah, but, it, yeah. It, it all applies. That the atlatl came before the bow. The atlatl just seems like it would have been a more complicated thing to use than a bow. Well, let's I don't consider... know about that though, because you you think about the bow and it's got a string that you have to. It's more complex to make right. a bow than it's, it is. It's more complex to, and to string the bow and all that. At, and whereas with an atlatl, it's like okay, I can throw it like this, or I can build a lever that would let me throw it a little harder. Yeah. And farther, yeah. So it makes sense that the spear, and, and by proximity, the atlatl would come before the bow and arrow, just because of the complexity. Right. I mean, I've got this broken stick. I wonder if I can use it with my spear versus, I like how that tree looks springy. I'm going to put a string on it and see if I can find myself a tiny spear to put on it and see if that gives me more... <laughs> got a very yeah. good point but yeah it's it's been that way about technology the um people the older people that are confused by the by the new complexity of the new technology is always saying oh you don't need that 
I could be <laughs> misquoting, but I believe it's Aristotle. Was like, why would we want to start writing things down? People are just going to forget stuff if we <laughs> write it down. Yeah. <laughs> and the same argument was made about the printing press and the radio and the TV and the, you know. And now yeah. we have and now we have 3D printers. We can literally make our lives so much easier just by printing whatever we need. Right. Got your own production right at home. It's going to destroy the economy. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I did actually see on Facebook recently in one of the, uh, I think it's Pathfinder groups that I'm in, somebody was complaining that he can't find um, minifigures to purchase anymore because the demand isn't there for purchasable figures for for these TTRPGs because people are more interested in buying STLs and printing them themselves because it's less expensive that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then again, you've got the local hobby shops. Um, maybe we could interest local hobby shops into having their own printer for... Well, but his complaint there was that he's like, yeah, I can get the packs of things he's like but i just need i just need a bunch of goblins and all i can get is two goblins in a pack that's got a whole bunch of other things that i don't need and it's more expensive than i want to pay for just two goblins okay. he's like especially well, and... since i need to get like 30 goblins <laughs> and doing it two at a time is, is i don't know ridiculous. about you but that's the issue I've always had with game packs, though, is you have to buy the whole expansion or whatever when you only want one or two pieces from it, you know? Yeah. And so, that's why being able to print your own is so much better. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many hobbyists out there, let's be honest. Hobbyists who want to print off the pieces and put the effort into painting them and all of that, they can turn around and sell them or they can use them. Right. And there's plenty of hobbyists who sell them. Right. And if you want a custom pack, you can order painted or not from a hobbyist, and they're going to charge you whatever, but you have to do the work to find those hobbyists as opposed to going to the hobby store. Right. Where all they're going to have is a generic pack that works for the greater portion of people that want a pack. I yeah, mean, or the generic yeah. pack on whatever said, you know, game site. And right. and to that point, actually, for his birthday, my mom got my son a packet of um, plastic tavern parts for, to use with his D and D game. And when when he opened them, we looked at him. And we're like, oh, these were three D printed. You can see the lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's all true. So in a lot of in a lot of games that you play there, Kev, I know a lot of them don't necessarily require models. Have you been adding models to it to kind of add to the gameplay itself? Yeah, I mean so I just barely started that because with with my typical group, we there we've been doing theater of the mind, as it's called, for so long that they're like, I'm not sure how we would incorporate this. But I I said, I'm going to do this for this for my son's group because it's a bunch of 12-year-olds. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think it would just be easier for them to actually see what's going on in the in the battleground um, to than to try to imagine exactly how far away everything is and everything. And it, it also helped me out to see what's going on also to be like okay because they're they've got the question well how how many can i hit with this burning hand spell and okay. it's it's right there instead of me having to think about positioning and stuff i'm like well you can actually hit these three from where you are sure yeah and they're like okay that helps well and visual aids have always been helpful once again since the dawn of humanity yeah you know, when, when you can describe something, that's great. You get the, the theater of the mind thing. But when you can sketch it or model it, it helps everybody understand what's going on. So, yeah. When it's, yeah. When it's, yeah, I love games that, you know, it's on the table, it's right in front of me, and I can, I can see as we're doing whatever the game is doing, you know, whether it's 
old-fashioned board games or if you know story games i mean clue (laughs) (laughs) it's true um i think that we've gone far afield enough to justify calling the podcast and i actually have some other stuff that i want to try to get done today anyway Uh so uh why don't we call it and uh we'll call it what Amateur 3D podcast. Call it done. (laughs) Yeah, call it done. (laughs) Call me Mud. No, don't call me Mud. Don't call me Mud. (laughs) That guy uh, will forever go down in history as a bad guy. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin's got a confused look on his face. (laughs) I know understands. I I only believe this based off of what I heard on... um, National Treasure 2. It could have been an arbitrary thing, but <laughs> I feel like it was one of those throwaways that if I researched it, I would actually find details to support it. So uh, yeah, maybe I'll just have to research it to be sure and stop talking about it until... <laughs> uh, okay. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to the very end. The very, very end. If you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors, and so we're easy to share. If you have feedback, or feedback, because I know how to speak good English. If you have (laughs) content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur 3D Pod, or you can email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. For individual feedback, you can email us at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at Amateur3DPod.com. Kevin Buckner is the one that wrote the music for this and every episode, except for like one or two. I don't think I went back and edited those. Uh, OpenAI's Whisper is the one that completed the heavy lifting for the transcripts, which you can find linked in the description. Our panelists are me, Franklin Christensen, and our, my friends. Our friends. We're all friends. Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cottom. Until next time, we're going offline. Keep your FEP tight. Use hairspray. When my printer sucks, I use it to clean the carpet. <laughs> I want to see how that works. Expecting that, <laughs> I want to see how that works. That would be awesome. <laughs> Indeed, it would. Oh my! <laughs> my wife wouldn't envision. get on my case for not cleaning the living room. <laughs> it would just take one time of you trying to clean it with your printer. She would never ask again. <laughs> wow yeah that one was way left field but that was no it works that's great